I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 13, we're not going to take time to read the whole chapter again. You just read it. But I want you to notice the first part of Revelation chapter 13. He's seeing a vision here. And whenever we get to the second half of the book of Revelation, you see a lot of visions in there. Obviously, uh, we're not looking and waiting for this beast to rise out of the sea, physically speaking. It's clearly symbolic. And we see a lot of symbolic things in the second half as it's kind of repeating the tribulation and then eventually going back into the wrath of God. But this first part, you'll notice this vision, it is of the beast or what we would call today the Antichrist. But I want to focus our attention in verse 11 because it talks about another beast that's going to come that's uh, very much like the first one. This is one we would call the false prophet. And notice it says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which, that, which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He's trying to get us to worship the Antichrist. Okay, And one thing we know about the Antichrist, we know when the abomination of desolation comes at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, he is going to basically go into the temple and declare himself to be God. And this is, I believe, what we're reading here is a direct reference to the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. And we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures tonight. I wish we had time to go through all of them. There's so much to go through, but I, there's just some main things I want to focus on tonight about the mark of the beast. But notice in verse 13, it says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. Notice all these wonders he's doing. In Matthew chapter 24, if you read that, you'll see the abomination of desolation. You'll see him talking about all the lying wonders that are going to be done during that time. In 2 Thessalonians 2, talking about the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture, it says even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all signs and lying wonders. I'm not quoting that verbatim. But basically, the same order of events that we see in Matthew 24 is what we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're seeing the same order of events here in, uh, in Revelation chapter 13. And so look at this. It says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed, and causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of man and his number is six hundred, three score and six. And the title of my message tonight is don't take the mark of the beast. And unfortunately, there is a false teaching out there that is that we won't be here when the mark of the beast is implemented. You know, you have these preachers all the time. You know, they'll read about this and they'll read and just, well, glory to God. You know, I ain't going to be here for no part of the tribulation. You know, some of these goofballs out there saying we're going to be here. I ain't planning on being here for none of it. You know, and then, and then they don't give any Bible to back it up. And I'm going to show you tonight, too. I'm going to prove from the Bible that we are going to be here before it. The rapture comes after this. The only reason we're not going to be here before it is if it's so far in the future we die before that. We're going to be here when this takes place. I'm going to show you, too, if you just look at how pre-tribbers, you know, interpret the Bible, I mean, their own logic proves we're going to be here. Okay. And, I'll, and I'll show you that here in a little bit. 
But notice, though, in Revelation chapter 13, we don't have time to read chapter 14. After that, we see visions again. And we see, I believe, the rapture take place in Revelation chapter 14. It talks about an angel taking a sickle and gathering him up. And then we see another gathering where they take him and they throw him in the winepress of the wrath of God. And I believe right here, we just see in Revelation 13, we're seeing tribulation. We're seeing in 14, we see the rapture. And then we see the wrath of God take place right after the rapture. And it is true we're not going to be here for the wrath of God. We might have time to get into some of that in a little bit. But first off, the thing I want us to notice, though, I want to get a point is, I make the point I want to make is we need to stand against the things that are leading up to the mark of the beast. We see here in this passage that this one person is telling all the world that they can't buy or sell unless they take this mark. Unless they worship the beast. And, you know, per, you know, people today, you know, you hear the pre-tribbers today when they're talking about this, you know, oh, you know, what must they have thought back in the Bible days? You know, what, when they read this passage, you know, how could they have made the whole world do something like that? Well, you know what? This isn't the first time that one man has decided the whole world's got to do something. In fact, at Jesus' first coming, remember, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Okay, so think about it. You know, the world has dealt with this type of thing before where one guy tells the whole world what they're going to do. And we see how we're going back to this whole one world government thing. We're seeing our nation, the nations of the world trying to unite. We just saw North and South Korea, you know, kind of coming together. And we got to see those leaders shaking hands and, you know, three cheers for Trump, you know, bringing nations together. I personally, I'm against bringing nations together. I, I'm personally against us uniting. And I'm going to show you some scripture on that. But we do, we need to stand against the things that are leading up to the mark of the beast. You see, you've got the pre-tribbers. They're so convinced that we're not going to be here. They're almost cheering on the things that are going to cause about, you know, th this type of thing. I remember when Hillary and Trump were running. I, I remember listening to one guy say, you know, he actually wanted Hillary to win because he felt like that would speed up things that would lead to the end times. But he did that with the mentality of thinking, but we're going to get raptured out of here before anything gets too bad. And I'm thinking, you know what? Even if that meant, even if you were right on that, why would we encourage this type of thing to come? This is wicked. Okay? The uniting of the religions of the world is wicked. The uniting of the governments of the world is wicked. You know, one guy telling the whole world what to do is wicked. Why would we encourage that in any way, shape, or form? But people are doing that today because they're thinking, oh man, I can almost hear Gabriel, you know, warming up. They don't even know who's going to blow the trumpet, alright? It's not even going to be Gabriel. But you'll hear him say these things when this stuff is going on in the news. They get all excited about it because they just, they just don't understand the Bible. But look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. We need to be against these things. We need to be against the uh, religions of the world uniting. I'm getting sick of hearing even Baptists, you know, talking about how, you know, we need to find unity in things. It's just, it's, it's getting pretty nauseating and making me sick. It says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 18, it says, little children, it is the last time and ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they are not all of us. But we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? 
But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. I want you to notice a couple things in here. First of all, notice how it was a good thing that they went out from them. It was a good thing that there was division. You know why? Because they weren't of them. They were, I believe he's talking specifically about the Jews right here. He's talking specifically about Antichrist, those who believe in another Christ. Well, who's that? That's the Jews. He's specifically talking about people who deny the Son. Well, who is that? That's the Jews. They claim to have the Father, but they deny the Son. And John here is saying, you know what? They don't have either because they deny the Son. And right here we see that it's a good thing when false religion or when people who are not saved, when they separate, if they're not going to follow after Christ, we don't want them in this church. We don't want to unite with them. We're not going to unite with people who say that Jesus is not the Christ. That is Antichrist. And yet the Christians today are so supportive, they constantly lift up and they praise the Jews who are the ones who say that there is another Messiah coming or another Christ. Christ and Messiah means the same thing. The exact same word, just two different languages. It's the exact same thing. And they will lift these people up. They'll praise them. They will call them our brothers. They will say that we serve the same God as the Jews, even though they deny the Son. That is blasphemy right there. I have heard preachers that I, that I grew up listening to, that I respect a lot, say that we, us and the Jews, serve the same God. Baloney. If they deny the Son, they don't have the Father. They are not worshiping the same God we do, but yet we see even fundamental Baptists wanting to hold hands with the Jews. I see those pictures all the time on social media. You got the, uh, the two hands clasped together. You got the American flag colored hand, and then you got the Israeli colored, you know, flag and the other hand linked together. And you know what? That right there is what needs to happen for us to get to what we see in Revelation. And you know what? It is happening. But you know what? I'm not going to cheer that on. I'm going to fight against that. I'm going to make as big a stink about that as I can. I'm going to be against that kind of stuff. I refuse to cheer on the mark of the beast. I refuse to do that. And Christians are doing that today, not caring about the fact that these people are all going to go to hell that, are, that take that mark. You know, they, but they, they don't care because they're thinking, I'm not going to be here for it. Therefore, it's not my problem. But you know what? It is your problem. We ought to be standing against these things. We ought to be trying to make a difference. And you know, the devil, he would leave us alone if we would all just agree on one thing, that Jesus is not the Messiah. Okay? You know, who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? And think about it. You know, we've got Baptist preachers today. You know, you got Samuel. You know what I never called Jesus? I never called him my Messiah. He ain't your Messiah. Can you imagine a Baptist preacher? I mean, a Baptist preacher is able to get up in church and tell people he's not your Messiah. You know how wicked that is? And you know what? The devil's fine with that. But you know what? Who is the liar? But he did not. The Jesus is the Christ. Well, you know, I, I believe he's the Messiah, but the Jews Messiah. No, you better believe he's everybody's Messiah. Jesus came for the whole world. Okay. John 3.16 proves that. Luke 2 proves that. I mean, it's all over in the Bible. And that's another message for another day. But we need to stand against the religions of the world uniting. We need to stand against the nations of the world uniting. Now, listen, I do not, I'm not saying we should all be fighting with each other. Okay? I am not for the nations all fighting each other. 
Okay, I am for the nations staying in their place and doing their own thing. I don't think they all need to be uniting. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. It says, When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Okay? Now, when did this happen? When did God separate the sons of Adam? Well, I believe that's specifically talking about after the Tower of Babel. It looks, says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now, wait a minute. Why does God have a problem? Everybody, the whole world was united at the Tower of Babel. They were all of one language. They were all of one speech. They all had one goal in mind. Hey, let's build a city. Let's all come together. Let's build a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves so it could reach unto heaven. But you know what? God came down and what did He do? He killed the unity there. He confounded their language. And then they went and they separated from each other. And I personally believe that God separated all the groups into 12 parts. I believe that's what He's talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, why would He do that? Why would He separate them in 12 parts like that? You know? Isn't it better if we're all united? I mean, couldn't we make a bigger impact if we're all united? Well, the problem with that is, you know, you, when it comes to us all being one, we tend to go bad, don't we? Think about it. When the world united then, was what they were trying to do good? Absolutely not. In fact, what they were trying to do was completely pointless and impossible and a waste. They, and so therefore, they were better off being separated. And, but then even after they got separated, we see God ended up choosing Abraham. God said, I'm going to make one nation out of them. And then even in that nation, even amongst the children of Israel, God separated them into 12 tribes. Now, why do that? We need to have some divisions there because if one goes bad, we don't want everything going bad. And we see too, even early in Israel's history, Benjamin ended up going bad. And Benjamin kind of ended up you know, being separated from Israel. But you know what? Because they had those divisions there, Benjamin wasn't able to make all of Israel go bad. And that's why we do. That's why we need separate nations. If one nation goes bad, hey, we've got a place we can escape to. The whole world doesn't have to go bad. That's why we need... I know we've got 50 states, geographically speaking, in our country today. But yet, we don't really have 50 different governments. And it would be better if we did. If one state goes bad, we've got some place we can escape to. But unfortunately, our federal government is going bad and it's making our whole country go bad. And I know we can't say a whole lot here in Illinois seeing we're one of the worst states. But at the same time, I hate seeing other states you know, that are, are way more conservative than ours is suffer because of our federal government. And yet we see that happening. Why? Because we are the United States of America. United, isn't that a wonderful word? No. You know, I'd rather focus on states than united. I, I, I want us, I want us to, I mean, I want us to be united in the fact we're not fighting with each other. We're not trying to kill each other. But at the same time, we do, we need separation. We should be in favor of national sovereignty. And I hate to get too much into politics, but unfortunately what we see in Revelation is all about politics. But who are the boogeymen today in the world? It's the nations that are very big on national sovereignty, you know, like Russia and Syria. We've got these nations that don't really care what the rest of the world thinks. 
And then what, and so what does our news media do? What does our government do? We make them out to be the bad guys. They get us scared of them. That way we will encourage, you know, our leaders to go to war with these nations. Why? Because we've got to get everybody falling in line. How else are they going to get this one world government like they want and this one world power? We can't have North Korea doing their own thing. Okay? And, you know, what, you want North Korea to get nukes? No. But here's the thing, you know, until they actually do something, do we really have the right to go take over their country and tell them what to do? Oh, you, you, know, you just want to wait. How do we know they're wanting to do anything? I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not into politics as I probably should be. I don't know a ton, but I mean, I've got to think that North Korea has got to know they can't take on the world. Maybe they want nukes because we're freaking them out, trying to tell them what to do. And they're thinking, you know what, if these people come after us, we want to be able to have some firepower against them. But you know what? I'm all for just leaving other countries alone and not telling them what to do. And we should, we should be against one power telling everybody what to do. Caesar Augustus did it in Jesus' day. said all the world's going to be taxed. We see when, before Jesus comes the next time that there is going to be a one world power telling everybody they've got to take a mark if they want to buy or sell anything. And we ought to be against that. And we ought to be against anything that is leading up to that. You say, well, it's in the Bible. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I know wickedness is going to happen. But you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to stop it. I'm going to do everything I can to lead people away from that. And I know in the end, it's going to happen. But you know what? You know, I ain't going down without a fight. I know the Antichrist is going to make war with the saints and overcome them. That doesn't mean I have to lay down. You know, I I plan on making it difficult for them. I I plan on taking a couple down with me. Is my intention, but listen, you know we are we're being we're being conditioned every day to take the mark. You know we, in just a few ways. For one, vaccines. All right, isn't it, you know why are we not freaked out? Why are people not freaked out by our government telling all our children, you know, you got to take this shot, you got to take that shot. And, you know, and people do, they just line up, they roll up their sleeves, you know, they take their kids there, stick them with whatever. You know, we don't know what it's going to do. We don't, you know, we don't know why you're doing it. But, you know, I've got a huge problem with the government telling everybody what they have to do with their kids and what they've got to give their kids. But yet people line up for vaccinations like it's nothing. In fact, if you don't vaccine your kids, you're the villain many times today because you're not vaccinating your kids. You know, and... But people are getting conditioned. You know, we got to listen to the government. We got to do what they tell us to do. You know, how about our election process that we have where we don't really have a choice? You know, it's Republican or Democrat. You know, both bad choices. But they use the word election. They actually let us vote so we feel like we have a choice. But I'm sorry, Trump and Hillary was not a choice. All right, that, that, is, that is no choice. But, you know, we think we do. We've got a news media... One of the, they're one of the biggest ones conditioning for this. They blame the federal government and specifically the president for everything that happens. And I've talked about this before, but listen, every time something bad happens, the last thing we need to do is go look into the president. Okay, why? We don't need the president guiding every little thing in our life. Every time a school shooting happens, we, don't, we shouldn't need to go to the president and ask him to do something about it. We should do something about it. How about for one, don't send your kids there, you know, and then for two, if we are going to send our kids there, why can't we as a community 
come up with some way to protect ourselves. You know, why can't we just hire armed guards? Why can't, why can't we do that? You know why? Because we're constantly going to these higher ups and letting them tell us every little thing to do. And that's what we're used to doing. And even Christian people sometimes, even when a hurricane happens, what do they do? Blaming the president. That's the dumbest thing in the world. And we are just asking for dictatorship when we do that. We're begging for dictatorship when we do that. You know, we got, we got politicians. The way they get elected is they promise us stuff. We will take care of you. Do you not think they're not going to do that with the mark of the beast? You know, you know they're going to collapse our monetary system the way it is today. And hey, listen, with this new system, you'll be protected. Nobody can steal from you. You know, and most people believe it's going to be some kind of implantable microchip. I have no doubt that that's probably what it will be. I can't imagine it being anything else. But either way, whatever it is, they're going to use it. They're, they're going to get us to take it by promising protection. And we're so used to looking to the government for protection and for provision, most people today are going to line up for it and take it. We have already been conditioned. You know, we're, we're seeing states' rights attacked. We've already seen that just in recent years where we, uh, I mean, it's, it's very clear there are no states' rights anymore. And we lost those a long time ago, but it's just becoming very apparent in recent years. You know, we've got a public school system where they're all teaching the whole country the same junk. It doesn't matter what religion your kids are. They're teaching the same garbage. It doesn't matter that you're a Christian. They want to teach your kids about the homosexual lifestyle. They want to teach them the perverted sex education that they're teaching in the schools. And you know, we don't have any choice about that. They'll teach your kids the religion of evolution and Darwinism. And you've got no say in that. And, we do, and then we hear you know, this constant drumbeat of tolerance. We've got to be accepting to everything except for stuff like I'm talking about tonight. You know, and then once again to just the whole one world religion, everybody, everybody praised the Pope when he was in America a few years ago. And they had that summit where all the religions came and united. And I personally think some of the best proof that we're dangerously close to already being at that place is just the Baptist reaction to many people who just spoke against Billy Graham after Billy Graham died. I mean, one of the biggest ecumenicalists ever. Someone who greatly helped unite the religions of the world, even Baptists, got angry at people like me who dared say things against Billy Graham. That's, that's insanity right there. I mean, I can't believe how far we've gone. You know, I even saw one Baptist missionary too. You know, how many saw the big feel-good picture that was going around of all the former presidents and stuff at Barbara Bush's funeral all together with their arms around each other? You know, you had the Clintons and the Bushes and the Obamas, and Donald Trump was missing, but Melania was there. And, and the people are, oh, this is wonderful. This is the way it should be. You know, at the end of the day, we ought to be able to set aside our differences. I'm going to tell you why I like that picture. Here's why I like that picture, because that actually is reality. The Democrats and Republicans do like each other. They are working together. The fight, it's a big, you know, it's a big show that they put on. They actually are united. But here's the thing. Even if they were different, you know, as different as people think they are, you know, there's some people we shouldn't be putting our arms around. There are some people we shouldn't be linking arms with. But yet even Christians today, they'll see a picture like that and they'll get a warm, fuzzy feeling saying, oh, look at that unity. Isn't this wonderful? No, it's not. It's not wonderful. We don't need everything united. Okay. 
I understand Republicans aren't righteous, but the Baptists think they are. But if Republicans are righteous and the Democrats are evil, like the Baptists think they are, they got that part right, then why would we be excited about righteousness uniting with evil? We should have a huge problem with that. But people today, they've been conditioned. And so why is it so important that we talk about the mark of the beast? Well, first, it's because it's wicked. It's something that we're supposed to be standing against. And we're going to get to a lot of the scriptures on this in just a minute. This is all just kind of foundation. But it is, it's wicked for one nation to try to control another nation. It, it's very wicked. You know, just like I have no business coming into your house and trying to tell you what to do and trying to straighten you out, our government has no right to go trying to straighten out other governments. It's one thing if they're crossing over into our territory. I'm, a, I'm all for a strong national defense. But I'm not that big on a big offense. I, I really don't care about that. But, you know, the question that people always ask us, you know, are we just supposed to sit around and let these dictators kill women and children? And, you know, my question is when I hear that is, you know, why can't those people rise up and fight against them? How, why is it that whenever we go to save these countries from their wicked dictators, we have so many of their own people fighting against us? Yeah, we ought, that ought to cause us to scratch our head. You know, our solution for stopping dictators from killing women and children can't be us killing the women and children instead, along with our own soldiers. We're not helping things. God never ordained that one government go and take over another government to fix all their problems. You don't see that in the Bible. But yet, Christian people are calling for it. God has always dealt with wicked nations by either defeating them with another wicked nation, or you know, in the Bible, that He would often defeat them because they had attacked Israel. And so we, you know, we need to stay, we need to understand that we don't want to be the wicked nation that God uses. If those people really need to be dealt with, you know, let the people rise up themselves, like's happened in other governments, like happened in our nation, where the people rose up and they fought against, you know, the tyrannical King George. That's the way things ought to be done. We did it. You know, why can't those other nations do it? You know why? Because a lot of those nations want dictators. We've seen it in recent history where when we've removed one dictator and we set up an election process for them, what do they do? They go and they vote for another dictator. It's because that's what they want. Okay? That's that, what their religion teaches. That's, how, that's what they're used to. We have no business going in there and trying to make them like us. But we see, though, we need to stand against these things because what's coming, it's wicked. We should stand against it. And also, we've got a lot of Christ, even Christian people who feel like the government owes them something. And we don't need the government taking care of us. You know, we're, we shouldn't be cheering these things on. We are going to be here. And I want to show you, I want to go through several scriptures here on the mark of the beast. We're probably going to look at all the verses where it talks about uh, the mark of the beast. And I'm going to show you too that we are going to be here for this. So look at what it says in Revelation 13, verse 5. So it says, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So notice that he goes and he's blaspheming. Uh, you know, he's opening his mouth in, mouth in blasphemy. And, right, and he mentions the tabernacle, 
them that dwell in heaven. He goes to make war with the saints. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is what we call the abomination of desolation. Even pre-tribbers will admit that is in the midst of Daniel's 70th week. When the Antichrist goes into the temple and he declares himself to be God. That is him speaking out in blasphemy. And we know that's in the middle of the 70th week. And it mentions in Revelation, after he does this, he has power to continue 42 months. Why? What's coming 42 months later? Armageddon's coming 42 months later. That's when Jesus is coming back on the white horse and he is going to be, he is going to be, uh, he's going to defeat him. And that meant, and so look at what it says in, uh, go to chapter 14 of Revelation. Chapter 14 and verse 9. So it says, and the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So notice right here, it mentions very clearly that those who receive the mark, they will experience the wrath of God. Y'all see that? Now, why do I bring that up? Because if you tell most Baptists today that we're going to be here for the mark of the beast, you know what they're going to tell you? We've not been appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, we're not going to be here for the wrath of God. There are many scriptures that say we have not been appointed under wrath. But notice in Revelation chapter 14, it's saying those who receive the mark are going to experience the wrath of God. What does that mean? It means it hasn't come yet. The wrath of God has not come. People try to tell you that the tribulation is the wrath of God. That the Antichrist making war with the saints is the wrath of God. That is foolish. Okay, That is not God attacking us. That's the Antichrist attacking us. He's making war with the saints. They're like, well, God, you know, Jesus would never do that to his bride. And here's what's funny. All right. And this is just, there's so many, so much stupidity when it comes to the pre-trib doctrine when you actually start thinking. Okay. But here, you'll, so you'll have a pre-tribber in one message. You know, he'll get up and he'll talk about how, you know, Jesus would never slap his bride right before he comes to take his bride. You know, he's not going to let his bride go through all that horrible, all that horrible stuff right before he comes and gets her. But then they'll turn around and when you say, but yeah, but the Antichrist is making war with the saints. Who's that? Well, that's the Jews. The Jews, huh? Well, they'll say the Jews are the bride of God the Father. Okay, so Jesus wouldn't let anything happen to his bride, but God would let a lot happen to his bride. You know, the father will let his bride get run through the ringer, but, but Jesus won't. Okay, so you're saying Jesus isn't a wife beater, but God is a wife beater. 
That's what they're that's what they're actually saying if they would actually be consistent in their arguments. But they never have those two conversations together. You know, they'll talk about the different brides in one message, but then they'll talk about when they're talking about the tribulation, they'll use Jesus as a wife beater as an argument. And that's just foolish right there. And the truth is, this is not God beating up on his bride. It's the Antichrist doing it. Well, God would never let that happen. Well, why did he let it happen in the early church. Why did Jesus let His disciples, almost all of them, get martyred? Why did God let the early church go through persecution? Why did He let them get burned at the stake? Why did He let all those things happen? Why did He let them get fed to lions? Was Jesus beating up His bride back then? No, that was the devil doing those things. And you know what? The Bible says, you know, blessed are the dead which, uh, which die in the Lord hence, from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. They're going to receive a blessing because of that. They're going to receive a reward that's great in heaven for that. And we might look at that and say, well, that's too great a sacrifice. But I believe if we knew what was to come, we would envy those people. But we've got a bunch of faithless so-called Christians out there today saying God would never let us go through anything. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world. They're basically, they have this attitude. Well, we're probably the most sorry generation of Christians that there's ever been that we are the ones that don't deserve to go through any persecution. That is stupidity. And then they'll get up and we have clear Scripture, seeing the order of events. We see tribulation. We see abomination of desolation. We see the Antichrist making war with the saints. Great tribulation. Then we see the rapture. But they want to say, nope, we're not here for none of it because we've not been appointed under wrath. And that's all they've got. But right here, it shows in Revelation 14, the wrath of God hasn't come yet. The wrath of God is going to be poured on those who take the mark of the beast. Well, that means we've got to be here for it. If we've not been appointed, on, if, if we've got to be out of here before God's wrath comes. And I agree we do. There's nothing that says that we've got to be out of here before the mark of the beast because God's wrath has not come yet. It comes later. I have never heard a pre-tribber address that. And, and they're not going to. They're not even going to try to explain why God's wrath has not come yet in Revelation chapter 14. But we'll also look at verse 14. So yeah, look at verse 14. This Because we see here, right after the whole mark of the beast thing, it says that the wrath of God is going to come on those who took the mark. Look at verse 14. It says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And upon a cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now that sounds violent right there, okay? But understand, this is symbolic here, okay? And you use a sickle when you're going to harvest something, right? You're going you're gonna to go, you're going to harvest that weed or whatever. And it says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, and the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat in the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. So first, we have the first angel comes. He reaps, all right? And when you reap something, you're, you're gathering up. You're, you're gathering up the fruit. I believe that is symbolic of the rapture right there. Well, now we have another angel with another sickle. He's about to do something else. Verse 18, another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it 
into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles by the space of a uh, thousand and six hundred furlongs. Right there, what we see in that vision, we see one angel doing a reaping, which is a picture of God gathering up his people. That is the rapture. We see another angel coming and basically gathering everybody up for Armageddon to pour out the wrath of God upon them. Which Armageddon has always been kind of, in the Old Testament, was always the focal point of the end time events. That was something, there's a lot of prophecy on that. We don't have time to go into all those things. But Armageddon is the main event of God's wrath. That's the main event. That's what finishes it off. But then when we read in Revelation chapter 15, we don't have time to go through all of it, but look what it says in verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. You all see that? So here's the wrath of God coming in Revelation 15. Why? And basically what, I've, what we see happening here, it goes through those seven vials of the wrath of God and it's going through all these different plagues that God pours out that ultimately leads up to the main event that was foretold in the Old Testament, which is Armageddon. And many people get confused because when you see the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's very clear there are some references to Armageddon, which is the, is, is the main event of God's judgment. And then people get all confused because you know they should see us in our timeline. You know We've got people getting out, getting raptured at the midpoint instead of the end of the seven years. But understand that not all of the events that led up to Armageddon are, were revealed in the Old Testament. We're getting more details revealed in the New Testament because think about this. Yes, I believe you know, the day of the Lord is when we get raptured. I, I believe that. But understand, it's going to last more than just one 24-hour period. And when we get raptured, it wouldn't make sense that all of a sudden everybody's there ready for Armageddon. No, once God gathers us up, for the next three years or whatever it's going to be, God is sending all this judgment on the world ultimately to take them to that place in Armageddon where He's going to pour His wrath out on. And we don't have time to go into all the Scriptures proving that. I'm trying to focus on the mark of the beast, but I'm just showing you all this to show the order of events. It all lines up perfect. And it's exactly, it's exactly as we teach here. So notice a few more things. Look at... Uh, lost my spot. So... Um, chapter 16, alright? So the first angel gathers the saints into heaven. The second angel, it gathers the world for the wrath of God. 16 verse 1 says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. So that very first... Uh, plague that comes, that first judgment that comes on people after the rapture, specifically comes on all those who took the mark. And they're going to have a, a noisome and grievous sore. So chapter 15, it kind of focuses on heaven and what's going on in heaven. If you take time to read that. But then chapter 16, it focuses on what's going on on earth. And eventually, I do plan on doing a chapter by chapter through Revelation. I uh, just haven't gotten around to it yet. But Revelation 16, it reveals more details about what takes place when God pours out His wrath. But it ultimately, it ends at that great battle known as Armageddon. Look at Revelation 19, 
verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So right there we see another reference to the mark of the beast uh, at, there at Armageddon. So look at Revelation. Um, or we'll, we'll stop right there for a minute. But So basically, you know, when you ask people too, when you tell preachers, we're going to be here for the mark of the beast, they constantly say, we've not been appointed under wrath but to obtain salvation. But I just proved to you very clearly that the wrath of God is poured out after the mark of the beast is implemented. After that, it's very clear. Uh, go ahead and go over to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to go there here in just a minute. So I already proved the mark comes before God pours out His wrath. But then the other argument they use is that the rapture is imminent. Therefore, the mark of the beast has to come after. And I'm telling you right now, imminency is one of the most foolish doctrines that pre-tribbers teach. It's the one of the most conflicting doctrines with their own teaching. Okay, because for example, you know, they're constantly wanting to say we're seeing prophecies fulfilled before our eyes. Well, how can that be if the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture? Then that means there should be no prophecies that are be fulfilled. Oh, look at all these times that we're seeing. You hear about the earthquake here and the earthquake there and, you know, wars and rumors of wars. You know, it, it's a sign. This is prophecy being fulfilled. But then, but you said there are no signs before the rapture. You said there's no prophecies that need to be fulfilled. If we're seeing prophecy fulfilled and it happened before the rapture, then the rapture could not have come till that prophecy was fulfilled. We see them say the same thing about Israel in 1948. That they, they act like that was Ezekiel chapter 37. You know, the, that vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. They think that's what happened in, in 1948. And they act like this is massive fulfillment of prophecy. But then how could the Bible have taught eminency? The foolishness of it is so great. But Matthew chapter 24, and I've, I've talked about this before, but it needs to be repeated. It says in verse... Well, let's start reading. Let's start reading in verse... Um, 15. All right, we're just going to kind of skim through some of these things. I'm going to show you the order in Matthew chapter 24. It's exactly what we've been shown in Revelation. It says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Everyone will agree that that's at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. Everyone agrees with that. I mean, even Rucktards agree with that. So there's, there's no argument there. And then also it says in verse uh, 21, says, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. After the abomination of desolation, we have great tribulation like there never was before. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like what we read about in Revelation. After the beast is blaspheming, which is what he does in the abomination of desolation, the Bible says he makes war with the saints. And he prevails over them. Sounds like great tribulation, such as never was. It's exactly like we see in the book of Revelation. And it says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Well, the Bible said in uh, Revelation, he had power to continue 40 and two months. 
He's got 42 months. But you know what? Thankfully, for us, that time is going to be cut short. We're not going to be here for the full 40 and 2 months. Why? Because we're going to be raptured before the end of Daniel's 70th week. Because it's, notice what it says, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The Antichrist is going to have so much power during that time that if we were here for three and a half years, he would kill us all. Thankfully, though, he's not going to have that much time. And therefore, he's not going to get all of us. And there are going to be those of us who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. And then it says in verse, then, uh, verse 24, or verse 23, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Well, why would they be saying that? Well, maybe it's because the Antichrist stepped in the temple and said that he was God. You know, and I, I imagine too, there'll be other false Christ prop, popping up out there. But it says, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall sow great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. We see in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all miracles and signs and lying wonders. Just like we see in Matthew chapter 24. Jump down to verse 27. For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That is the rapture. Now, what pre-tribbers, they've had to update their position. And the Rucktards helped them with this. They are now all coming to agreement that that's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about Armageddon. That's talking about the second advent. All right. Thank you, dispensationalists, for helping the pre-tribbers you know, cover for themselves. Okay. But one thing that the Rucktards have not been able to help the pre-tribbers out with is imminency. Okay? Now, some of them, some of the Ruckmanites are being honest and admitting they don't believe in imminency. But that gets them in a lot of trouble with the mainstream Baptists who they are pretending that they are one of. They're trying, the mainstream Baptists that they are infiltrating get freaked out when you start saying the rapture is not imminent. So most of them are very quiet about it. Some of them are honest and will admit that they don't believe in the imminent return of Christ. But this is, but once again, they have not helped them out because notice what happens here. So let's keep reading verse 28 or 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Okay. So look at this. After the tribulation, the sun is darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Okay. Well, what does the Bible teach? The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day, notable day of the Lord come. Or great and terrible, I think, in the Old Testament. Okay? The sun, notice, abomination of desolation, great tribulation, sun darkened and moon turned to blood. Now, one of the verses, too, the pre-tribbles we use to prove eminency is the day of the Lord's going to come as a thief of the night. I agree. The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief of the night. I agree, the day of the Lord is the rapture, which is what they're saying. But notice, the Bible says the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great notable day of the Lord come. Revelation 6, at the sixth seal, the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood. 
Even pre-tribbles will admit that that is the tribulation right there. But notice, this, no, I have never heard a pre-tribber talk about the sun being dark and the moon turning to blood. They ignore that. They don't bring that up. Sadly, I never paid a lick of attention to it until I watched after the tribulation. I was like, well, what? how come I never paid attention to that verse? You know why? Because it's left out. Nobody talks about it. Why? Because it's crystal clear in the Bible that that happens before the great notable day of the Lord comes. But the pre-tribbers, they have to ignore that because day of the Lord, they, the day of the Lord coming as a thief of the night is one of their imminency verses they use. But unfortunately, the sun has turned to darkness and moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes. The sun has turned to darkness and the moon to blood after the tribulation of those days. I would love to hear a pre-tribber even attempt to explain that. They won't do it. And then watch this. So verse 30, so after the tribulation, after the sun is dark and moon turned to blood, which happens before the day of the Lord, it says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right? Now they can say all they want that that is referring to Armageddon right there. But then when you tell these people the rapture is not imminent, you know what they do? They go to verse 36. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. They go to Matthew 24, 36 to prove an imminent rapture. And you do. You go to, with the exception of Ruckmanites, you go to any mainstream Baptist they use that verse to prove the rapture is imminent. They say that verse is talking about the rapture and they are absolutely right when they say that. But understand, it's crystal clear in Matthew chapter 24 that that day doesn't come until after the abomination of desolation, after the tribulation, after the sun has turned to darkness and moon into blood. After all of those things, the order of events is crystal clear crystal clear. There is no two ways about it. But they do. They just try to ignore it. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as, a, cometh as a thief in the night. They use that verse to prove eminency. They will use that to show that, you know, it's just coming when we least expect it. Let's talk about the day of the Lord. The sun has turned to darkness and moon to blood. Before the great notable day of the Lord come. Unless this is a different day of the Lord that they're thinking of. Which they could be doing that if they listen to the Rucktards enough. You know, the Rucktards have got like three raptures and, you know, multiple brides and all these things. You know, maybe just come up with multiple days of the Lord too. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I've never heard them even try to address it. But it's right there, black and white. Look at Revelation chapter 20. And you see, you just covered a lot of stuff there to prove that we're here for the mark of the beast. And I... And Hopefully, I did a good job presenting it. But you know what? I actually don't need to use any of that to prove we're here for the mark of the beast. You know, we're always asking them, show us one clear scripture to show us we're out of here before the tribulation. You know, they can't do it. We can show them immediately after the tribulation. But let me show you here, I think the most crystal clear, I mean, just spelled out black and white verse that proves that we are here for the mark of the beast. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, 
and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay? Who are these people that live and reign with Christ a thousand years? It's those who did not receive the mark. It's those who were beheaded as a result of that. Okay? Well, that doesn't say anything about the timing. Let's keep reading. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You all see that right there? This is the first resurrection we're talking about. These ones who are being resurrected, who are going to reign with Christ a thousand years, these are the ones who did not receive the mark. Well, if the people who do not, or who did not receive their mark, who were beheaded, if they take part in the first resurrection, then wouldn't that have to mean the resurrection doesn't come until after the mark of the beast? I mean, there's no, unless we've got, this is, you know, resurrection 1.5, you know? I mean, cause that, cause is 1 Thessalonians 4. What does it say there? Everybody agrees that's about the rapture. What does it say? The dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. So either Revelation 20 here made a mistake and it's the second resurrection or people who don't take the mark participate in the first resurrection. The same one that we do. The dead in Christ will rise first. The rest of the dead aren't going to live until the thousand years are finished. There's going to be some people who get saved you know, during the wrath of God period, but they will not resurrect until the thousand years are finished. Okay? That's not, they will not resurrect until then. But notice, the people who took the mark, or did not take the mark, they take part in the first resurrection. Right there, that proves it. And if people are any Baptist that says that we are not here for the mark of the beast, that this is something that's going to be happening to the Jews or this is something for the tribulation saints, they have to say, this is not the first resurrection. There is no two ways about it. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this resurrection is clearly before the millennium. So, and the Bible says their resurrection is the first resurrection. Well, that means that has to be the same one that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, where the dead in Christ rise, unless this is the second resurrection and our Bible is wrong. Right there, Revelation 20, all by itself, proves that we are here for the mark of the beast. And I say all that to say, that you know what? Christians better wake up and they better stop cheering the things on that are leading up to it. Let's not get all excited when we see the nations of the world coming together, when we see a one world currency coming together, when see the religions when we see the religions of the world uniting. You know what? Let's stand against those things. Let us let those things motivate us to be witnessing even more, to be taking an even stronger stand. Let's let that be an opportunity or a reminder for us to toughen ourselves up because some difficult days are coming. And that might not be pleasant, but you know what? Jesus, He told His disciples some things that were going to become that weren't pleasant. And He said, I'm telling you these things, so when that comes, you will not be offended. And we're going to see many of these just lame, pathetic, weak Christians, they're going to be offended when these days come. They're not ready for it. 
And that's because the pastors are failing them. Pastors are a bunch of pansies. They're too scared to tell their churches the truth on this. They're, tell, they're too scared to tell their people what's to come. But that's our job. And let me tell you something. This last century of Christians, you know, this, the, you know, the last, well, almost two centuries, thanks to guys like Darby and Schofield and Larkin, people like that that just absolutely infiltrated and corrupted Baptist churches, we have raised probably the first, I mean, this is the first century of Christians who had an attitude of fear of persecution, who had an attitude of entitlement, like we deserve peace and tranquility. No other generation of Christians ever felt that way. None ever acted like that. We are the most lazy and pathetic group of Christians there's ever been. We somehow think that going through hard times as Christians, you know, means we're experiencing the wrath of God. You know, how pathetic that is. How, how typically American that is. We've seen it today. And I, I watch, I've been watching these guys. You know, somebody makes a YouTube video about them. And they're being persecuted for the cause of Christ. I mean, buddy, you're really going to hate it when they start cutting people's heads off. You know? I would love to see what some of these little pansies would do. Like Gene Kim. A couple of videos were made about him. He's this weirdo, wacko Ruckmanite that made some videos making fun of his wacko teachings. He said the reason animals are scared of us is... Be, I'm not even going to repeat why. It's just too creepy to talk about in church. But he acted like because he's getting persecuted for the cause of Christ and he's going to like get ten cities you know, in the kingdom of God. Like, you moron, go tell Paul that you suffered persecution. A guy who was beaten. A guy who was stoned. A guy who was whipped. You know, this one guy you know, that he was complaining because these baseball cards were made, making fun of him. You know, he's acting like he's being persecuted because somebody made a baseball card making fun of him. You pansy. Not only does this guy talk like a pansy and sound like a pansy, he is a pansy. You know, toughen up. And what's sad about this guy, he believes we're going to be here for the tribulation. Thinking, good night, you haven't got a chance, buddy. If this is going to, if this is going to have you crying, wait till you're getting thrown in prison and things like that. I don't say these things to scare. I say these things to warn. God put them in here so we would be ready for them and we've got to toughen up. We have got to toughen up as Christians. And so let's stand against the things that are leading up to the mark of the beast. I know it's going to happen. But you know what? I'm going to be as vocal as I can about it because I want, I want to be winning people to Christ. I don't want them being deceived when that day comes. And it's going to be too late for, it's going to be too late for many people. There's going to be many people offended because they have, they have been lied to on this subject. And so don't let this cause you to fear. Let it cause you to just get excited. The rewards will be worth it. Whatever you go through, the harder it gets, the more excited you should be about what's to come. You know what some of us ought to fear? Some of us ought to fear just dropping dead right now or the rapture coming right now when we've just done almost nothing for God. That's what ought to scare us. You know, we've got an eternity ahead of us. You know, we ought to be welcoming tribulation. And in the meantime, I'm not saying we've got to go asking for tribulation, but you know what? Why don't we at least, you know, why don't we go try to do something? Why would we shy away from soul winning? You know, because we're afraid somebody's going to cuss us out or something. Hey, let that you know, get used to not being liked. Let that be something to prepare you. And in the meantime, you could at least be earning some rewards. You know, don't don't wait until don't wait until then. You might get killed too fast. You know, you know, let's do something. Let's do something now. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. We're, we thank you so much for your word, dear God. I pray you'll help us to 
Look at these things in the Scriptures, Lord. I pray we won't fear, but we'll be motivated. And I pray you'll help all of us to uh, uh, recognize what's to come. Help us to stand against these things. Help us to stand against the uniting of nations and the uniting of religions. But help us stand for just uniting in truth and nothing else. I pray you'll help us to just uh, be bold. Help us to toughen up before these times come and they get difficult. And dear God, I know that you'll bless them for it. Just bless them as they go their separate ways. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.